Welcome to Birkegaard, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. So today we continue with chapter 8. I will read the uh, title of the chapter here. Chapter 8, The Price of Willing One Thing, Commitment, Loyalty, Readiness to Suffer All. If a man shall will the good in truth, then he must be willing to do all for the good or be willing to suffer all for the good. I would say that that's one of the acid tests of spirituality is if you're willing to suffer for the good. Uh, without those three things that we talked about and the fourth, which is kind of a compromise, it will the good for the sake of reward, uh, number one, out of fear of punishment, number two, or a form of self-assertion, three. But then there was another kind of double-mindedness, which was born of weakness, that is commonest, um, of all men, that versatile double-mindedness that wills the good in a kind of sincerity, but only wills it to a certain degree. Uh, now the talk may continue. If then a man in truth wills the good, he must be willing to do all for it, or he must be willing to suffer all for it. One, if a man shall will the good in truth, then he must be willing to do all for the good. Uh, let us uh, first consider uh, the willingness to do all for the good, all. Yet, will not this talk easily exceed all bounds if it is all is named? <laughs> let me try that again. Let us first consider the willingness to do all for the good, all, yet. Will not this talk easily exceed all bounds if all is named? I got through that. Will it not become an impossibility to master all the differences included under the term all? And as a result, will the talk not become vague since the good can demand the most different things of different people? And uh, Soren expands this idea, and I think it's a wise one, so let's read it completely and then I'll process it. It sometimes can demand that a man leave his esteem calling and put on lowliness, that he give away all his possessions to the poor, that he shall not even dare to bury his father. Uh, that comes from the New Testament with Jesus. Again, it can demand of others that they shall assume the power and dignity they're offered them, that they shall take over the working power of wealth that they shall bury their father, and that perhaps a large part of their lives shall be consecrated to faithfulness, which is to be faithful over the little to this extent, that their own life has no claim of its own, but rather is faithful to the memory of the departed one. Now let us not uh, multiply confusion and distraction in a host of individual details, for these also remind us of the struggle of pettiness for preference where one person thinks that by doing one thing he is doing more for the good than another who does something else. For if both in relation to the demand do all, then they do equally much, and if neither of them does all, then they do equally little. Instead of multiplying details, let us simplify this into its essential unity and likeness by saying that to will the good to do all is in the commitment to will, to be, and to remain loyal to the good. I think it's a, a reality that Soren's addressing that our external 
circumstances do not necessarily correspond to other individuals' external circumstances. We have to be careful uh, on a specific calling versus a general calling. Now, there's parameters within that that God's going to abide by his ethical and moral will towards individuals. Uh, he's not going to call someone to active rebellion or sinfulness or all those kind of behaviors that we can imagine that arise from uh, unrestrained heart. But in terms of external situations, we have to be careful about assigning the same lot to everyone because God may decide to prosper somebody and someone else may not prosper and both are in the will of God. And we can't just be like Job's friends that assume external circumstances are because of our internal decision-making and our will to will one thing. The purity of heart is to will one thing. So let's uh, continue here um, after that section. Because the commitment is just the committing of all, just as it is also that which is essentially one thing, in this way not tempting occasion for the mistaken quarrel of pettiness about preference needs arise. Then too the talk can be briefer, for it is unnecessary to enumerate varieties many names yet be in keeping with uh, strict accuracy, since the essential brevity answers to the rich that rich brevity which is present in life and the act of commitment to will to be and to remain loyal to the good. No one believes that this is a long drawn out affair. On the contrary, from the standpoint of eternity, if I dare say so, uh, it is this abbreviating of all of life's fractions, that's a cool term, life's fractions, for eternity's length is the true abbreviation, for eternity's length is the true abbreviation, that frees life of all its difficulties, and it is through deciding to will to be and to remain loyal to the good that so much time is gained, for that which absorbs men's time when they complain about the lack of time is irresoluteness, irresoluteness, distraction, half-thoughts, half-resolutions, indecisiveness, great moments, great moments. It was because of these that we said to be and to remain loyal to so that the commitment should not be confused with the extravagance of an expansive moment. The person who in decisiveness wills to be and to remain loyal to the good can find time for all possible things. We uh, did talk about the 80-20 rule, and that's a rule from business, the business practices, that our top 20% of priorities should determine 80% of our effort and time. We should concentrate on the top 20% of our priorities with 80% of our time and our energy and our resources. The person who, in decisiveness, wills to be and to remain loyal to the good can find time for all possible things. And I always felt like in my professional career, if I was walking more or less faithfully, I don't think any of us do that perfectly. And I am intimidated when Soren uses words like all because he's very clear about his message that it requires all, that we can't be half-hearted about things. But I think there is... A, on the counterbalancing side, human weakness, that we're never 100%. If somebody said, did you give 100%? <laughs> I think it could be said in most cases we don't. We might give 95% towards something. Um, so I'm trying to be realistic here, but I would say my professional career, if I had a really, really taxing 
period of time, and sometimes they were taxing years, I felt if I came to the table or I came to the desk and was willing to do my best and willing to work hard and not run away from the responsibilities and to pick up that hot cast iron of life until it became cool, that God would get me through it, that I would have time to get everything done that I needed to get done, even though at times it was scary or stressful and or stressful, uh, that as long as I was being faithful to my calling, uh, that I would be able to get through it. And I could say in my 30 years that that was true. It doesn't mean it was easy. It didn't mean that um, it wasn't a process. But, you know, you need to know what you're capable of and then push yourself and then be willing to trust God with the, the results. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be absolutely perfect in order for it to be effective. Uh, that's another lesson that we have to learn that perfection is often uh, not attainable and to aim for it causes us to not do as well as we could do. So we should have goals to be uh, exemplary and then we should also have the understanding that we're only human and in that we're also sinful and the perfection isn't ideal but it may not be always attainable. We should aim for it though. I think it allows us to be better than we would have been. The commitment, 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 the commitment of willing to be and to remain loyal to the good and truth, <coughs> truth's brief way of expressing to be willing to do all, and in this in this expression, there is apparent that leveling insight that recognizes no distinct distinction proportionate to the actual that actual difference of life or in human circumstances. To be an active person or to be a sufferer because the sufferer too can be committed to the good. This is of importance to the thought and to the talk so that discord shall neither exist nor be kindled. So that the talk shall not incite the active person who is able to accomplish much in the outer world to compare himself in a conceited way with the sufferer nor provoke the heavily laden sufferer who apparently spends his time in useless suffering despairingly to compare his usefulness, his uselessness, his pain, uh, is not merely superfluous, is not merely, is not merely superfluous, but for others, even burdensome, burdensome existence with the great accomplishments of the active ones. Uh, alas, often enough, such an unfortunate person, in addition to his heavily innocent suffering, must bear the severe judgment of the arrogant, the busy, and the stupid, who are indeed able to irritate and to hurt him, but who can never understand him. Um, that old saying is, be careful about judging a person unless you walk a mile in their shoes or a mile in their moccasins. We don't know what people have been through. And um, judging is often a short-circuited way of being prejudicial towards someone or a group of people when we don't take the time to listen. Uh, it's really cool if we look at behavior in the context of a personality that has lived life and to be able to step back a little bit and to be able to grant the person some grace in the midst of that and to try to provide some room if possible. Uh, there are limits to that, of course, for grace and for an expression of 
sensitivity and patience and the willingness to listen and to understand. And listening is kind of an investment in a person. If you allow them to tell their story, they're more likely to let you into it and to become an actor in that story. But it's a granted wish that we have to first listen to a person's story before they will let us in because uh, they feel like they have had an opportunity to express themselves. Listening is such a great skill, so, under, so undervalued in our society. Um, listening. I would say podcasts have probably taught me to be a best, better listener because I don't have much ability, obviously, to input into a conversation. But the ability just to listen to a story or to an interview or to a podcaster teaches a discipline of listening. And we can kind of approach our other situations in life, which aren't podcasts, with the same mentality that we can treat it like a podcast and uh, be more of a listener than an active talker. I think there's a time for a good chosen word or a wise word. But again, it has to be contextual to the person's needs. So let, now let us talk of doing all and speak of the men who in this or that way are assigned to the external world as to a stage. It makes no difference at all, God be praised, how great or how small the task may be. In relation to the highest of all, this simply does not matter when it comes to be willing to do all. Oh, how great uh, is the mercy of the eternal towards us. All the, ru all the runous, runous, runous quarreling and comparison which swells up and injures, which sighs and envies, the eternal does not recognize. Its claim rests equally on each, the greatest who has ever lived and the most insignificant. Yet, yes, the sun's rays uh, do not shine with more equality on the peasant's hut and the ruler's palace than the equality uh, with which the eternal looks down upon the highest and lowest. Uh, the, the, the demand upon each is exactly the same to be willing to do all. It reminds me of that scene in the Bible where the widow comes and drops her two mites in the temple treasury and Jesus makes the comment that she gave more than all the rich people because she gave out of her poverty. And she gave for the right reasons because when you only have two mites and you give it away, you're assuming that God's going to provide for you. I don't know, people get rucked too uh, by the temple, but if you do, as long as you do it willingly, uh, then it's God will admire it even if the person doesn't spend it well. Cleverness strives continually against uh, the commitment. Uh, now in the inner world, man uses cleverness in a ruinous way in order to keep himself from coming to a decision. Uh, to forsake one's post, to desert in battle, is always disgraceful, but cleverness has invented an ingenious device that apparently prevents flight. It is evasion. By the help of evasion, namely, one does not come into danger, neither does, one, does he lose honor by running away in danger. On the contrary, one does not come into danger. That is one advantage. And one wins uh, great honor as being especially clever, that is a second advantage. Only eternity, the good, and also the holy scriptures are of another opinion. Only eternity, the good, and so also the holy scriptures are of another opinion about this matter of evasions and about the much honored clever ones, for they are referred to 
when it speaks of those who draw back into perdition. Hebrews 10.39, How strange that a man can therefore avoid danger, and when he believes himself secure and saved, which one indeed should believe after he has escaped danger, just at that point he has sunk into perdition. So in cleverness, we can dodge the battle that God is calling us to. It's wise not to fight minor battles or insignificant battles, but regardless, there are times to fight a battle, the battle that God is calling you to, and not to, um, not to run away from it. And even if the terrible thing that happens, that which the sincere person has risked all, that it was then that the government said to him, my friend, I cannot use you. How clear is it is that the smallest crumb of grace in the service of the good is infinitely more blessed than to be the mightiest of all outside the service. So um, Soren's essentially pointing out that if we do the, the right thing for the right reasons, even if it's a small act of uh, obedience, that God will use it and uh, we're not trying to evade it. That's some good stuff. So I'm going to kind of conclude for today. So be careful about judging on the basis of external status or situations of the faithfulness God has called us to. That everyone has an appointed calling, uh, whatever the station is. God may choose to prosper some people. He may choose not to prosper them in a way uh, in the world's eyes. That eternity is long and this life is short. So even the sufferer has to take consolation in the fact that the suffering will come to an end if their purity of heart is the will one thing. And the rich man or the prosperous one or the one that has attained worldly success that God has called him to should also remember that he or she, that uh, that, that is passing away, that they shouldn't put their hope in it. But God may call them to prosperity or to some sign of outward uh, blessing or success that looks um, different from another person's. And we should be careful about judging people that are in, uh, in harsh circumstances because their life may have been very, very difficult. They've had more to bear than others. So we have to be careful about judging until we take time to really listen and to understand a person's story. Um, even people that seem to have fairly good lives often have hidden sorrows. So we have to listen in order to gain uh, the access to a person's story in which we may be able to um, help them and assist them but by understanding them. So we, uh, the key of uh, trust is determined by listening and compassion and by willing the truth and being honest with that person. And uh, we should avoid being clever. We should avoid the, uh, the, uh, the desire to avoid all battles we should choose our battles carefully, but if God has called us to a battle, we should be willing to uh, to fight that battle in a spiritual sense, uh, not avoid it, because avoidance is, is, is deception. So I think that takes us to uh, the end of today, just some personal stuff. I think it's better to put this stuff at the end in case you're not interested. Uh, I think we have interesting things going on in our lives, but they're more interesting to us than perhaps to other people. Uh so, let's see, I just got back from New York uh, State, outside of New York City, got to visit my cousin after being with my brother for a couple of days in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. I drove up 
through beautiful Bucks County up to my cousin's place, and we hit um, five craft breweries in 24 hours and a gastropub, too, so six. And we could have gone to a seventh, but I felt like it just was too much. I just couldn't do it. Uh, but we had first uh, gone for a hike, and uh, my cousin and I, when we get together, like to do something physical before we enjoy food and beer. And uh, it's either like hiking or playing disc golf or mountain biking because he's pretty outdoorsy and he likes to be active and he also enjoys uh, good food and good beer. So we are a perfect match. And so he was telling me the hike that we're going to go on was had an element to it that was very, very challenging. And I did not know how challenging it was going to be. But when I saw it, uh, the trail was uphill to start because it was going up to a cliff that was uh, hundreds and hundreds of feet above uh, the Hudson River. And the Hudson River is much wider than the Susquehanna. It's about three miles wide. It's not quite as long. Uh, the Susquehanna is the longest river on the East Coast, which is the river close to here. Uh, so we were going up and up and up, but then we hit the uh, rock wall, which was not a complete uh, straight up uh, kind of repelling type of thing, but it was close enough. It kind of leaned in, but you had to climb it. And it was an all on all fours. And I got about 90% up and I um, almost passed out. And uh, when I pass out like that, when I uh, lose my ability to uh, control my movement, I have to stop, of course. And it was dangerous because I was 90% up this rock face. And I had to stop for about two minutes. And it wasn't too, I wasn't too far from just losing control. And uh, I had to stop and sit down. And take a series of deep breaths and just um, get some water uh, so I could finish the last 10%. Um, and they say when you take challenges on, I listened to this on a podcast recently of uh, challenges, that it's good to uh, approach challenges with the idea that it's about 50% chance of success, 50% chance of non-success. And it's about comfort. So look at the Art of Manliness podcast and it's a couple podcasts ago. And so I felt pretty confident that I could climb this, uh, but I wasn't entirely certain. I'm not sure it was 50-50, but it was around there somewhere. Maybe 60-40 I felt I could do it. 60% yes, 40% no. But I had to absolutely stop. And after about a minute or two, I was able to finish the remaining section, which uh, was really a challenge, but it was good. And uh, so approach uh, challenges with the idea that it's not a sure thing, but it's also not easy. There's a zone between like the 40-60 and the 60-40. That's the sweet spot. And also be wise. Make sure <laughs> that you have a backup plan. Because uh, I've been in situations before where I've become uh, overtaxed and it turned out to have some pretty risky uh, possible consequences that... Fortunately, I was in a buddy system with someone in, in previous situations where they could bail me out. So if you're going to do something that's even somewhat risky, don't do it alone. Make sure you have someone with you. That's just common sense. And articulate the need for help if you need it. Like be willing to admit that you're not in control or that you're not in a safe space. I think a lot of times the macho takes over or the pride takes over where we're unwilling to admit that we're at our, uh, we're at our end. And uh, I had to tell my cousin, like, I can't continue. I have to stop. And, um, and then um, he was able to get me some water and able to uh, at least watch out for my climb and to provide some support in case I did slip. 
so that was a good lesson. Uh, I like the fact that we did it though, because it kind of created the um, the exertion, created the uh, need and the desire for kind of relaxation afterwards. So do great things, and then reward yourself for doing those things, and then move on and take on another challenge. Uh, that's a good word. Uh, so that was the lesson of this of this uh, past weekend is to to push and also be willing to admit limits and then continue and persevere. And I listened to another really really interesting podcast that was on a podcast called Econo Talk. Uh, Econo Talk is one word, and it was about the ability to quit, which was a counter to the book about grit, which is perseverance and the. Uh, the author of this book, uh, Quit, felt like there was kind of an incomplete story in the idea of perseverance. Like perseverance in general is a very, very good quality. Like very little is accomplished in life without perseverance. But there is a time where we have to cut our losses, where we have to recognize that the cards are not in our favor and to continue to play them uh, will put us in a, in a deficit, you know, either like emotionally, economically, spiritually, relationally, um, all those kind of, all those kind of possibilities. And I thought it was really good because she's a former poker player and she has her PhD in something quantitative, uh, which is interesting. The speaker that was in this podcast or this writer. So she was talking about how good players know pretty much at the beginning of the, of the, of uh, the cards being dealt in poker, whether they're going to continue or not. Like that's the difference between a great poker player and an amateur is the amateur will continue with a bad hand now there is bluffing so there's a little bit of a lack of um, you know certainty sometimes but a good player will play the hand they have not the hand they want and if the hand does not look like it's setting up properly and I think there's eight different players in this and maybe the dealer or something so it's hard to count cards and all these kind of th- all these kind of things because a lot of the cards are hidden it's not like you're just playing against one person or something uh, she said that good players, great players, know pretty soon of whether they're going to continue the hand or not. Now, if they want to bluff, they want to bluff. But bluffing's a tricky, a tricky art because if you bluff too much, much people know you're not that you're not uh, a good poker player. Uh, they'll call you on it. Uh, so, a great poker player knows from the initial hand of whether they're going to continue or not, rather than hoping for a better third card or whatever or another round that's going to put them in a better place where they continue to put uh, cash on the table or chips on the table Um, so her point was that grittiness is good perseverance is good but don't let that be an absolute Uh, that there is our there's a counterbalancing argument that the ability to assess your circumstances correctly and to cut your losses early is also a really valuable skill, and there's really no simple way to boil this down to a formula. It's all about wisdom. It's all about the ability to take in a lot of information, a lot of data, and to balance it and to figure out a way through. I had to make a decision on this climbing of this rock face, which was kind of on all fours, but we were leaning in a little bit. Obviously, it wasn't completely straight up. Uh, once I got up 90%, it would actually been more dangerous to go back down uh, because it was so steep. And I did insist when we got to the top that I didn't want to take the same route down that we had taken up. It didn't seem safe to me. I didn't want to break a bone. Uh, I didn't want to get hurt. It would ruin the weekend. It obviously would be injurious to me and also put, put us in a dangerous situation because we we're particularly close to the car. 
or wherever he had parked. And I told my cousin, there has to be a different way down. I, I don't trust this going down. And he was okay. And he was willing to look and to consider if there was a different path. And it turned out there was. There was actually a different path to get to the top of the cliffs, too, that we didn't take. There was kind of a, a different um, shading on the trees with the markings. One was a lighter blue and one was like a darker blue. Uh, they were kind of both aqua, but it was a question of shade. And my cousin didn't see that alternate path until some other hikers came by us about 75 feet below us. And he was able to see that the path that we had taken was the more strenuous by far of the two. And to go down the other way was much safer. When you're hiking, if you know this, sometimes going down is much more dangerous than going up. Because going down, you have momentum. And there was a ton of leaves on the ground. And there were rocks. So if you fall, you're probably going to hit something, hit your head, knock yourself out. Um, so I, I, I praised my cousin that he was willing to listen to my concern. I didn't know if there was another path, but I suspected there might be because it just felt too dangerous going up it. And, uh, thankfully we went down a different, a different path and it was not quite as challenging, even though it was challenging, it was far safer and, uh, just kind of grabbing trees on the way down. So that was kind of an idea of quitting the route that we came up. I just didn't feel comfortable uh, my instincts were telling me there's got to be a safer way down than the way we came up. But I was glad to come up the way that we did. So the ability to quit. So that was on the Kano talk, and the book is called Quit Versus Grit. And life is complicated. It doesn't always lend itself to an easy formula. So sometimes you persevere, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you stick with it, sometimes you jettison it. As a rule, perseverance is what I would consider a default quality. And the ability to cut your losses is more of a, an optional quality depending on the circumstances. And using poker as a good example that good, good to great players understand their first two cards dictate their approach to the rest of the game. And they're not engaging in wishful thinking and they're not putting uh, undue resources on the table that they can't retract once they commit. So that's just some good things to think about. We'll see you next week.